Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. They won countless noteworthy battles within the Roman military during the 1st and 2nd century CE. Yet one of the most efficient and influential combat outfits of all time seemed to vanish from the historical record, and nobody knows why. If you enjoy these episodes on the disappearance of the 9th Roman Legion, you should check out the Unexplained Mysteries podcast. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Follow Unexplained Mysteries free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Crickets chirped. The fire crackled. It was a quiet summer night in Britannia, 60 CE. That was, until a messenger on horseback galloped into the Roman army's camp. He desperately needed their help. Queen Boudicca, leader of the Celtic Iceni tribe, had staged a revolt in the Roman colony Camelodunum in today's Colchester, England. Roman settlers were being murdered in cold blood, hung from the gallows, boiled alive, forced to watch as their own entrails were pulled from their bodies. The 9th Roman Legion sprung into action. 2,500 men marched south to aid Camelodunum's overwhelmed military force. The men hiked for four days before finally reaching the borders of Camelodunum. But they were too late. Queen Boudicca had already raised the colony and now set her sights on the 9th Roman Legion. Her warriors surrounded the Legion just outside the town. But her people weren't ordinary soldiers. They were far more terrifying. These warriors, many of them women, wore tribal markings painted with their enemy's blood. They had long, unkempt hair, carried swords of fire, and screamed like wild animals. These were the witches and druids that plagued the Romans' nightmares. The superstitious legionaries froze in fear, watching as their enemies cast spells and summoned the wrath of God from above. A quiet silence fell upon the battlefield. The tribal warriors stared their Roman enemies dead in the eye. They stood ready, poised to attack. Queen Boudicca 
gave the signal, and both sides charged. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. This is our first episode on the disappearance of the Ninth Roman Legion. For nearly two centuries, the Ninth was one of Rome's most accomplished and highly regarded military units. But early in the second century CE, the Legion completely vanished from the record. In this week's episode, we'll follow the Ninth from their first appearance during the social wars in 89 BCE through dozens of battles up until 120 CE when they faded into oblivion somewhere near York. Next week, we'll take a look at the theories surrounding the Ninth Roman Legion's disappearance. We'll explore whether they faced complete annihilation at Britain's hands, absorption into the Sixth Roman Legion, or a transfer to the modern city of Nijmegen in Holland. And of course, we'll look into the lack of firm records supporting any of these theories. Roman warriors, Julius Caesar, the Colosseum, the Pantheon, they've all been relentlessly romanticized. And while there is an abundance of archaeological and architectural evidence to help paint the picture of a historical Rome, we may never receive an entirely accurate account. We know that the Ninth Roman Legion was a critical cog in the Roman army's machine. They brought countless victories to Julius Caesar, who owes a debt to the Roman legion for making him a legend today. And yet, the fate of the Ninth still remains a mystery to modern scholars. The system of Roman legions dates back to the 5th century BCE, when there were only four dubbed the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Property-owning Roman men between the ages of 16 and 46 were elected into these legions. Once elected, they'd serve a set term, usually 16 years. But soon, reforms changed the life of legionaries. In 104 BCE, the requirements for legionary enrollment became more inclusive and men no longer needed to be property owners to serve. Julius Caesar doubled the legionaries' pay from 450 to 900 sesters a year. Even at the time, this wasn't much, considering half a loaf of bread or a carafe of wine cost half a sesters. But the compromise was that soldiers could also keep or sell any weapons, clothing, or goods they collected from the enemy. 
Although the pay was meager, a Roman legionary could make a good living through pillaging. One that came with strict discipline. The legionary training program was designed to make these soldiers the toughest, most formidable in the world. They learned everything from battle formations to how to manage and cook their own grain rations. And that was all in between countless hours of weapons practice. Not to mention, a legionary could face strict consequences when they stepped out of line. Even minor mistakes could result in drastic punishment. Things like failing to report for service, stealing goods from a fellow soldier, falling asleep on duty, providing false information, or participating in same-sex affairs, all could lead to the death penalty. As the military evolved, Roman general Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus, also known as Pompey the Great, created a few additional legions to help him conquer Spain. It was during this early period of Pompey's career that historians found the first evidence of the Ninth Roman Legion. In 91 BCE, Rome was expanding. Its people demanded more rights, which the stubborn senators refused to grant. This led disgruntled Italians to secede from Rome altogether. Civil war between the Romans and the allied Italian states erupted, resulting in mass carnage. It all led up to 89 BCE, when the Roman army surrounded the city of Asculum on the Adriatic coast of Italy. Lead pellets recovered at the site included inscriptions like a gift for Asculani. Others were engraved with numerals signifying the different legions that had fought the battle. One pellet displayed the Roman numeral 9. This was enough evidence for historians to confirm that the 9th Roman legion was at the Battle of Asculum. Yet stories of the 9th's glory wouldn't reach the record books until 30 years later, when Julius Caesar was named governor of Gaul, or present-day France, Belgium, and Luxembourg. In 58 BCE, Caesar inherited the 9th Roman legion, along with the 7th, 8th, and 10th. The legions were the exact tools he needed to kick off the Gallic Wars and conquer the tribes that were still outside of Roman jurisdiction. But back in Rome, military leader-turned-politician Pompey the Great was becoming irritated with Caesar's relentless incursions in the Gallic states. He believed that Caesar was abusing his power and taking advantage of his legions, legions that Pompey had created to protect Rome. Up until now, Caesar and Pompey had been close allies, but the interests of these two hard-headed men no longer aligned. Instead, Around 53 BCE, Pompey allied with Optimatus, a conservative group within the Senate. They ordered Caesar to disband his armies, including the Ninth, and return home immediately. Caesar refused. Instead, the Gallic Wars waged on before coming to a head in the Battle of Alicia in 52 BCE. The Ninth helped secure this victory, which marked the end of Gallic independence. It was a massive win for Caesar and demonstrated his potential to be a formidable leader. And if all went well, perhaps he'd become the sole ruler of Rome. 
After the war, Caesar was ready to take on his next opponent, Pompey the Great. He and his armies crossed the Rubicon River back into Italy and launched a civil war against those who remained loyal to Pompey. Terrified of the vengeful Julius Caesar, Pompey and a few senators fled to Greece. There, Pompey had the resources to raise a stronger army. Plus, he knew that Caesar lacked the ships to transport all of his legions across the Adriatic Sea. But Caesar pursued Pompey anyway. He knew that his legions, including the Ninth, had far more combat experience than Pompey's men. Despite having a shortage of ships, on January 4th, 48 BCE, Caesar set sail with seven legions. They sailed towards the Grecian city of Dyrrhachium, located in modern-day Albania. The Ninth was amongst those 15,000 legionaries who landed safely in the coastal region. But when the ships returned to Rome to gather the rest of the troops, the Ninth was stranded. Months passed as they waited for their allies, who were being blocked by Pompey's navy in the Adriatic Sea. The legionaries were forced to forage for food just to stay alive. Meanwhile, Pompey didn't dare strike Caesar's men on land. Despite having two more legions and a stronger cavalry, Pompey knew that his troops were underqualified compared to the men of the 9th and the supporting legions. Pompey's men held Caesar at bay, but feared making a real attack. But no one could have predicted the stalemate would hold the seeds of accord. Many of these men, on both sides of the conflict, knew each other from their legionary training back in Rome. The 9th and Pompey's troops began fraternizing, rebuilding old friendships and realigning their loyalties. Because of their earnest conversations, many of Pompey's men began to warm to Caesar's political agenda. The 9th Roman legion successfully turned their enemies into their friends. Months later, in summer of 48 BCE, the rest of Caesar's ships broke through Pompey's line and docked. The friendly respite again gave way to war. Pompey fell back to the coastal city of Dyrrhachium. Caesar sent the Ninth after him, with orders to build walls and hem him in against the coastline. But Pompey too ordered fortifications and constructed his own wall. This resulted in a kind of trench warfare, not unlike its successors in World War I. But now Pompey lacked provisions like food or fresh water. It became increasingly difficult to maintain his position. In July of that year, Pompey finally caught a break. Two Caesarian soldiers had been caught stealing from fellow legionaries and escaped to Pompey's side seeking refuge. They were probably confident they'd be welcomed into enemy arms after the time they'd spent befriending the troops. And once they were settled in the new camps, they started to talk. With their help, Pompey was able to pinpoint the two weakest parts of Caesar's wall. Pompey staged his attack, pitting six of his legions against the ninth, which was guarding the weak spots. They fought face to face, no farther than a javelin's distance away. The smell of fresh air and salt water was soon diluted by the metallic stench of blood. According to Warfare in Antiquity by Hans Dielbrook, 
Caesar recalled the Battle of Dyrrhachium as a bloody day. Pompey won the battle, but lost nearly 2,000 men. Caesar lost only 20, but still decided to retreat. Five of Caesar's casualties were members of the Ninth. This was a strategy move for Caesar, who wanted to wait till he was in a better position to coordinate an attack. The Ninth rested, resupplied, and began plotting their next move. Meanwhile, Pompey divided up his winnings with the rest of the Senate. On August 9th, 48 BCE, Caesar pursued Pompey to central Greece and attempted a comeback at the Battle of Pharsalus. While Pompey had more men, held a higher ground, and kept more supplies, the Ninth was attuned to the enemy's strategy. Pompey ordered his soldiers to wait until Caesar's armies reached them. He didn't want them storming ahead and falling into a trap. But Caesar knew how demoralized Pompey's men would feel, letting their enemies set the pace of the battle. He taunted them by ordering the Ninth to stop and rest just a few yards shy of the battlefield, making their anticipation even more torturous. When battle finally broke out, Pompey's soldiers successfully subdued Caesar. But a hidden group of legionaries ambushed Pompey's cavalry. Many of the horses turned and fled with men still on their backs. Caesar then ordered the 9th Roman Legion to move in on Pompey's remaining army. It was time for their revenge. With hatred in their eyes and blood on their faces, the 9th turned the tables, forcing Pompey's army into a panic. Pompey's men broke formation and retreated into the hills. Pompey himself abandoned the battlefield, leaving his remaining soldiers to fend for themselves. Caesar's troops, including the victorious 9th, completely overran Pompey's camp, grabbing whatever armor and weapons they could sell back home. The very next day, Pompey's army surrendered to the triumphant Caesar. As for Pompey himself, he gathered his family and fled to Egypt. In September, he was beheaded by the Egyptians, who desperately wanted to earn Caesar's approval. They presented him with his former friend's head as a token of their honor. But according to historian John Gorton, Caesar was moved to tears by the spectacle. Perhaps the fierce leader had a heart after all. Either way, in 46 BCE, Caesar was formally declared the sole ruler of Rome. With the battles over, the soldiers of the 9th Legion could finally rest. In 46 and 45 BCE, Caesar discharged the veterans who had fought alongside him for the past decade. He saw no immediate threat that would keep them from a well-earned retirement. Many of the 9th Roman legionaries relocated to Picanum on the eastern coast of the Adriatic Sea. They could finally settle down, enjoy the calm shores and crystal blue water, but their tranquility wouldn't last for long. Soon, the 9th Roman legion was resurrected and forced to fight in some of their bloodiest battles yet. Coming up, the 9th Roman legion rises after the brutal assassination of Julius Caesar. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Now, back to the story. In 46 BCE, Julius Caesar defeated Pompey and became Rome's dictator perpetuus, meaning dictator for life. After a decade of brutal combat, he disbanded his armies. This included his prized 9th Roman legion, many of whom retired in the coastal region of Picanum. Unfortunately for 56-year-old Caesar, Plenty of Roman citizens were unhappy with his leadership, and politicians were concerned that Caesar was turning the Republic back into a monarchy. On March 15, 44 BCE, a Roman senator named Gaius Cassius Longinus decided it was time to put an end to Caesar's reign. That afternoon, Cassius lured Caesar to the Curia in the theater of Pompey. When he entered, Caesar felt someone forcibly grab his toga. He realized that Cassius was up to something just before 60 other senators emerged from the shadows. Each sported either a maniacal grin or a hint of rage in their eyes. Caesar was wildly outnumbered, and the Ninth Legion was retired on the beaches of Picanum. No one could come to Caesar's rescue as he tried to writhe away from the senator's grips. Julius Caesar was stabbed 23 times before he finally succumbed to fate and bled out on the theater floor. Days after Caesar's assassination, his co-counsel and senior deputy, Mark Antony, filled in as de facto leader of his party. He pardoned the Senate for their crime against Caesar. But in return, they were required to keep his future successors in place. This meant that Julius Caesar's adopted son was next in line to inherit his seat. 18-year-old Gaius Octavius, known as Octavian, was cautiously accepted as the new leader of Rome. But it wasn't long before he started to butt heads with Mark Antony. Matters grew worse when Mark Antony, who was married to Octavian's sister, 
began an affair with Caesar's ex-lover, the Egyptian queen, Cleopatra. But around 35 BCE, Octavian had bigger fish to fry as the Republic of Rome prepared for war once again. History, doomed to repeat itself, pitted the son of Pompey, Sextus Pompey, against the son of Caesar. Octavian, aware that the Ninth had been instrumental to his father's victories, reinstated the legion. The legionaries were called from the shores of Picanum to fight alongside their new leader. By 32 BCE, the tension between Mark Antony and Octavian had only grown. Mark Antony divorced Octavian's sister, and Octavian had finally had enough of Mark Antony's dishonesty and lack of loyalty. With the indestructible Ninth Roman Legion back in business, it was the perfect time to retaliate. Octavian declared war, not on Mark Antony, but on his lover, Queen Cleopatra, and it all came to a head in a naval battle between Egypt and Rome in the Battle of Actium. Octavian gathered his forces, which included the Ninth Roman Legion and almost 100,000 other men. He boarded them onto his fleet of nearly 400 ships. On board, the men of the Ninth learned to use a ship to fight. The ships were made of a lightweight material and easy to maneuver. Each vessel was equipped with rams on the forwardmost part of the bow and catapults that deployed wooden harpoons called a harpax. The harpax contained a metal hook that would latch onto an enemy ship so it could be wrangled closer so soldiers could storm the vessel. On September 2nd, 31 BCE, Antony and Cleopatra sailed into the Ionian Sea, where Octavian's ships blocked their passage entirely. The legionaries on board, including the Ninth, launched their harpaxes at Antony's ships and quickly sunk more than 15. The Ninth dodged incoming rocks and arrows, scoffing and cackling at their ineffective opponents. They held on to the ropes, stabilizing their footing as the rams successfully ravaged Antony's oars and demolished his hulls. They rejoiced as Antony's flagship sunk with the others. The wind carried a mist from the ocean, which washed over them as they cheered. But what they didn't realize was that Mark Antony had made a swift escape via another ship. He bypassed the chaos and safely made it back to Egypt. The fight wasn't over yet. Back in Alexandria, Cleopatra and Mark Antony strategized. But with a depleted army, there was nothing they could do to defeat Octavian. Not while he had the indestructible Ninth. By July 30th, 30 BCE, Octavian's forces arrived just outside of Alexandria. Mark Antony mobilized his troops. But by the following morning, most had retreated, well aware that they didn't stand a chance against the seasoned legionaries. On August 1st, 30 BCE, Mark Antony received a message telling him that Queen Cleopatra had died. Without a kingdom to rule or a woman to love, life was not worth living. Mark Antony stabbed his sword through his chest before learning the queen was still alive. His soldiers rushed him to Cleopatra. He died in her arms. 
Meanwhile, Octavian and his troops, including the 9th Roman Legion, led a full-on invasion of Alexandria. They raided and pillaged the city before attempting to take Queen Cleopatra prisoner, but she refused to surrender. Instead, Cleopatra barricaded herself at a seaside mausoleum. Seeing no other way out, she too died by suicide. In true Caesarian fashion, Octavian showed no remorse. He took Queen Cleopatra's treasures to pay off his armies for their loyalty and dedication. It's assumed that the Ninth Legion was also offered a portion for bringing victory to Rome. Thanks to their help, the 36-year-old Octavian was finally able to turn the Republic into an empire and was crowned the very first emperor of Rome. The Senate even gave him a new name, Augustus, meaning the illustrious one. Shortly thereafter, Octavian sent the Ninth and six other Roman legions to northern Spain to conquer the remaining Spanish tribes outside of Rome's jurisdiction. The battles lasted for nearly 10 years, but Rome saw victory around 19 BCE. From there, the legion was sent to the Roman frontier in Pannonia, located between modern Hungary, Austria, and several Balkan states. Legionaries were tasked with guarding the new border communities due to their proximity to dangerous barbarian tribes. Aside from a brief relocation to Africa, the legion is believed to have remained in Pannonia with little action up until 43 CE, when Emperor Claudius took the throne. Claudius wanted to make his name with conquests and turned Roman forces on the British neighbors. It was meant to be an ultimate conquest to secure the Roman Empire's total domination. This war required more men than the 9th Roman Legion had to offer. Claudius amassed more than 20,000 soldiers from the 9th as well as the 2nd, 14th, and 20th Legions and auxiliary armies to conquer Britain once and for all. Eleven different kings surrendered to Emperor Claudius almost immediately. And by 47 CE, half of the country had been successfully conquered. But there were still a few leaders who refused to concede to the Roman Empire, like King Caroticus, leader of the Catuvalani, a Celtic tribe in southeast Britain. Caroticus fled after losing a battle to the Romans and hid in a nearby camp of the Brigantes tribe. Unfortunately, the queen of the Brigantes had no loyalty to King Caraticus and immediately informed the Roman soldiers that he was in her camp. The Romans seized the disgraced monarch and sent him to Rome, where he remained a slave for the rest of his days. But still, the war waged on. It slowly became apparent to the Ninth that they would not get to return to their tranquil guard duties in Pannonia. Instead, the Ninth Roman Legion was forced to settle in the modern-day region of Lincoln, England. By 55 CE, the Fort of Lindum Colonia was the Legion's new home. But five years later, things again went sideways for the Roman Legion. King Prasutagus, leader of the Iceni tribe, died in 60 CE. 
He left his kingdom to his daughters in hopes that they would keep the peace with Rome. He also designated the Roman emperor as one of his heirs in the hopes that they would allow the Iceni tribe to remain independent. But the Romans insisted that per the will, the deceased king's land and fortune was theirs to do with as they pleased. The Romans seized what they felt was rightfully theirs, from land to food to slaves and women. They violently humiliated and dehumanized the Iceni people. They captured and raped Queen Boudicca's daughters. Now, Queen Boudicca was out for Roman blood. She, along with 120,000 Iceni rebels, stormed the Roman city of Camelodunum, murdering everyone who wasn't on their side. Messengers mounted their horses and rode north to the nearest camp for help, the camp of the 9th Roman Legion. While the 9th assembled, a small Roman auxiliary force attempted to hold off Boudicca's massive army to the south. But the paltry forces were no match against the enraged queen and her ferocious troops. For the next few days, Queen Boudicca's warriors demolished the city until there was hardly anyone left. Then they heard of the 9th Roman Legion's arrival outside of Camelodunum. Queen Boudicca rallied her tribesmen to face the 2,500 men of the 9th Roman Legion. Their swords still wet with Roman blood, Boudicca's warriors raged into battle, pulsating with adrenaline and courage. The 9th didn't stand a chance. Queen Boudicca's warriors came from every direction. Any strategy the 9th had was thrown to the wind as these unpredictable, feral barbarians annihilated them. Decades of training passed down from the legionaries before were forgotten in an instant. They were surrounded with no way to escape. The sophisticated and largely undefeated 9th Roman Legion was ripped to shreds in a matter of hours. According to the Roman historian Tacitus, almost all of the 9th Roman Legion's men died in that battlefield. General Cerilius, along with a few members of his cavalry, are believed to have retreated before reuniting with the members who remained back at camp. The Battle of Camelodunum later came to be known as the blood-soaked Massacre of the Ninth Legion. The spotless reputation of the indestructible Ninth had been tarnished overnight at the hands of a woman. But Queen Boudicca would not be the Ninth Roman Legion's final enemy. Coming up, the Ninth Legion gets its second chance before completely vanishing from history. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Now back to the story. 
Around 61 CE, after losing 80% of their men to Queen Boudicca, the 9th Roman Legion was unable to bring themselves back up to full strength. In the three weeks after their loss, three more Roman settlements were attacked by tribes who joined the Queen's Rebellion. More than 70,000 lives were lost. The Romans knew they had to put down Queen Boudicca's rebellion, or they might be driven out of Britain for good. They hunted her down, and the two sides met in battle once again. The odds were not on the Roman side. They approached the fight with a depleted army and were once again outnumbered by Boudicca's warriors, which included around 300,000 men and women. But Roman general Paulinus's strategy helped to keep Boudicca's warriors at bay. In the end, the Roman legions were able to defeat the tribal queen. Shortly after her loss, Queen Boudicca died, either from an infected wound or suicide. With only a few hundred men left, wide-eyed legionaries of the 9th Roman Legion were sent to Germany to recruit new members. But the 9th was never going to be the indomitable legion it had once been. In 71 CE, the still-weakened legionaries were instructed to move north to modern-day York for a different task. Their job was to keep tabs on the Brigantes, a northern tribe that had not yet been conquered by the Romans. The Ninth was supposed to prevent them from moving south into Roman Britain and instigating another revolt. Under General Gnaeus Julius Agricola, the Ninth Roman Legion was soon back in action. In 79 CE, the Ninth Roman Legion, reinforced with multiple auxiliary armies, marched farther north into modern-day Scotland. It was time for the next chapter of Roman domination. The Caledonian tribes in northern Scotland were well aware of Rome's violent reputation in the south. It's very likely that they had been preparing for the day the Romans would finally arrive on their doorstep, and the Caledonians did not plan to surrender without a fight. By 82 CE, Agricola believed the best plan for attack would be to divide his army into three separate divisions so they could approach from different directions. Unfortunately for Agricola, word spread to the Caledonians, who targeted the weakest of the three units, the 9th Roman Legion. Once, they'd stood as the most prolific and honorable of all the legions, but now they'd fallen from grace. They were nothing more than sitting ducks. In the middle of the night, when the 9th Roman Legion was resting in their flimsy timber fort, the Caledonians staged their attack. The sleeping legionaries were completely unprepared for the violent ambush. Adrenaline pounding, they went into autopilot, grabbing anything that could be used as a weapon. It wasn't enough. The last few 9th Roman legionaries were dropping like flies. It appeared that this might be the very end for the 9th. Just as all hope seemed lost, Agricola and his camp rushed in to fight off the remaining Caledonians. The 9th Roman legion held on, and the Roman army sent the Caledonians scrambling back into the night. Once more, they'd barely avoided extinction. 
But it's around this time that the story of the Ninth begins to get muddy. The Ninth Roman Legion is believed to have fought in the Battle of Mons Grapius in 83 CE, Scotland, before returning to their station in York. Historians are fairly certain that the Ninth Roman Legion remained there until at least 108 CE and aided in the construction of their new stone fortress. This is based on a partial tablet commemorating their help, which was unearthed in the fortress centuries later. But this was the last recorded mention of the Ninth Roman Legion. Afterward, they completely vanish from history. So what happened to the Ninth Roman Legion after they built the Fortress of York? If they had survived the wrath of Queen Boudicca, overcome the rebels in Caledonia and returned to York, as archaeological evidence suggests, then there should be further mention of them in Roman records. Only, there isn't. In 165 CE, newly appointed Emperor Marcus Aurelius had a set of columns built in the city of Rome. The structures were meant to commemorate each Roman legion. They listed not only when, but also where each legion had been stationed throughout the history of the empire. But the columns had zero mention of Julius Caesar's pride and joy, the Ninth Roman Legion. They were stricken from this historical artifact. Almost as if, for some reason, their existence was covered up. Though this does help archaeologists pinpoint exactly when the Ninth Roman Legion fell off the map, they vanished sometime between 108 CE, when they built the fortress in York, and about 165 CE, when they were left off the emperor's new columns. That leaves the question, what happened during those roughly 57 years? The mysterious disappearance of the Ninth has stupefied historians for centuries. Works of fiction have tried to offer closure regarding the fate of the Ninth. Rosemary Sutcliffe's The Eagle of the Ninth offers a fictional account of a young Roman legionary who searches for the missing legion and his father who served with them. Sutcliffe's story was adapted in the 2011 movie The Eagle. But that was a work of fiction. In order to follow the loose threads of the Ninth in the real world, it's important to focus on the most viable theories. Like that the Ninth Roman Legion was wiped out shortly after building the fortress in York. The first theory suggests that their rivals, the Briganti tribes, attacked the Ninth, leading to their complete extermination. Some sources suggest that Queen Boudicca cursed the Ninth Roman Legion on her deathbed, Perhaps the legends of witches and druids were worth fearing after all. It's also speculated that the legion remained in Britain through the reign of Emperor Hadrian, where they aided in the construction of Hadrian's famed wall. It's possible that the weakened Ninth was then absorbed into the Sixth Roman Legion, an anticlimactic fate that Hadrian didn't see worth recording. There are also hints that the legion left Britain altogether. In fact, evidence suggests they may have been in the city of Nimaean during the later half of the 2nd century. 
From there, they may have gone on to Judea in Palestine for the Roman-Jewish wars around 132 CE. If they were defeated, Emperor Aurelius may have stricken them from the historic record to avoid embarrassment. Could the 9th Roman Legion, one of the most powerful and successful military units of the Roman Empire, have been totally annihilated? Absolutely. But it's rather curious that the legend of the 9th Roman Legion, one that was so well documented for centuries, seems to just end. The mysterious disappearance of the 9th Roman Legion has haunted historians for centuries. Where did these men go? And more importantly, why did Rome feel the need to keep it a secret? Next week, we'll explore these theories. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Thursday with part two on the disappearing Ninth Roman Legion. For more information on the Ninth amongst the many sources we used, we found Legions of Rome by Stephen Dando Collins extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. 